Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Patrick, final show, Patrick, 90.9 of the game. Andrew says soccer is over there. JCM Jones from the striker, Atlanta. And the mothership is right here. Right here and very, very happy Joe Patrick for the first time probably in my life, at least as far as I, I can remember. Joe Patrick, Atlanta has finally beaten Seattle, which means we, me and you, are now the personal owners of Sounder at Heart. I think that's in our contract. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Cool. I'll send We're Jeremiah the note later today. Ah, perfect. Good. We'll just start on Monday. Sure. Just want to make sure that they're never allowed to talk about the, the killing soccer thing ever again. That's the entire thing. We should at least get them five stripes as hell on the uh, jerseys now. I think that should be our reward. <laughs> That's exactly right. It, for those of you who don't know, Sounders have um, Nos Audietis on the collar of their jersey, which is the Sounder at heart motto motto i guess theme song slogan whatever something like that i forget what it means i think it means like you will hear us or something in latin i I don't know what it is anyway we're from georgia we ain't that fancy we just rather (laughs) just say them five stripes as hell (laughs) let's talk about it next atlanta united president garth lagerway who was in attendance was he really this game oh Oh, i didn't tell you this yeah Yeah. no no i didn't no go ahead he he was in attendance uh shout out to todd and the five strike final discord who Mm. let us know these things and got a picture with Garth Lagerway uh, can confirm he was there and can confirm that I had multiple people jump on me with uh, blue check marks in their name. <laughs> they were like, he's not there for anything. He's just, he did an interview. Sure, um, no, sure. Jeremiah, Jeremiah kind of clarified that for me. Um, what did he say? He said that Garth was there, but not to interview just to, to be there for Darren's stuff. Darren's going away, all that kind of thing. Taylor Twelman said the same thing. As well, but when I don't know, just remember this mm. when six months from now, when everyone goes, Oh, wait, they had a talk, <laughs> you know, or, or something like that. It, who knows? Who yeah, knows? they definitely weren't tampering at all. Definitely not. <laughs> who would, who would dare <laughs> in the South tamper with anyone? Atlanta United 2 1 winners. You guys are winners because you got to listen to Kurt Castle. On the intro, the song is Chances. You can check that out wherever you find music. Most places you find music. Anyway, Joe Patrick, the music of my heart was happy and joyful after this one. Because, I don't know, man. It just felt good to have a moment. Yeah. When was the last time we had yeah. a moment with this team? Um, it didn't feel... Fours. There was a late winner. There was a late winner earlier this year against Charlotte. It was against like, Charlotte, even then it, it like didn't banked. like feel like that because the stakes. Because it was Charlotte. It's like <laughs> it's different. What made this game different was like the stakes were so big. So it feels like your back is up against a wall. You've got to win all these home games that you've got remaining, and it just felt really important. And it felt like the season was kind of going to be over. Like uh, if they mm-hmm. did not get that three points yesterday, and so. Uh, Andrew Gutman saves the season, <laughs> at least for another week. <laughs> for another week. That's exactly right. There's there's still plenty um, of work. To yeah, do, but yeah. I, I think I think there's absolutely no reason to be pessimistic about any of it yesterday, to be totally honest, considering the team they were playing, considering the circumstances and considering the fact that Atlanta deserved a break. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a team that the only team who under is underperforming their expected points by more this season is Colorado Hmm. and Atlanta has just been unlucky. There have been a lot of instances where Gonzalo Pineda has gotten kind of killed for saying that they played well and and created chances. And a lot of cases it's been objectively true. Mm -hmm. It really has. So to see them finally just get a break of any kind was astounding. Right. And 
you can't take away from any of it, to be totally honest. I think in some cases they have beaten the opponent and expected goals partly because of the game state where they would give up a goal mm. early and then it sets them up in a position where they're creating lots of smaller chances um, and not really conceding many. So I think that's one of the reasons why they have that big point discrepancy. I think Tom Bogert pointed that out too when we talked to him. But you're right. I mean, this was a game where what have we been asking for from this team for so long? We want this team to be harder to beat you know just like harder harder to play against um and that doesn't isn't necessarily always reflected in the expected goals tally um i thought it was actually kind of it was even more encouraging the fact that you were able to pull out the win despite the fact that statistically the game was very even if anything you know seattle had slight edges and things like uh expected goals and possession and that kind of thing um and you you were able still still able to get it done i will say though at the end of that game both teams were just so clearly going for it like with everything like mm-hmm. you know i said I, toward the end of the game i was like there could be a counter uh attack chance for Atlanta United here, but only because like it was just so obvious that Seattle was just pouring everything forward to try to get a goal. So it was really fun to watch. It made those last five, 10 minutes of that game exhilarating. But I think we deserve some credit because we both had started writing our Atlanta drew, da, 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 you know, writing your <laughs> writing our leads out. And uh, that kind of spurred the Andrew Gutman, I think, to score that goal. You're welcome, y'all. You're welcome. No, it definitely <laughs> opened up and Atlanta survived. This is a good Seattle team. I, I know the results haven't been great for them as of late, but since they won the freaking CONCACAF Champions League, they've been uh, the sixth best team in MLS on points. Eighth, eighth right? best wow. on yep, eighth best on expected goal differential. Anything having to do with their current place in the standings is all to do with the CCL run that they made and the injury to Jao Paulo mm-hmm. that they've been dealing with and injuries to Raul Diaz as well. But Raul Rui Diaz was, was in the game. Yeah. He was there and Atlanta survives and gets the win. Right now. Rui Diaz didn't start. Maybe it's a different game. If that happens, whatever. Right. They held on, they got the win. And in a game that we knew was going to be ugly, I remember, I think Doug maybe asked if he thought if Gonzalo thought it was going to be an open game, this week. And I remember I kind of laughed and Gonzalo kind of laughed because that's just not what Seattle has been over the last few weeks. It was never going to be this game where Atlanta came out and dominated and was up and down and, and creating a, a ton of chances or anything like that. It was going to be a grinded out kind of game with your back against the wall and Atlanta won and got the job done. And that is enough of a confidence boost. I think for this team to potentially make a run that we've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that for sure, but potentially it is there. And to even have that potential after everything this year is an achievement. Yeah, I mean, I think that Gonzalo Pineda has to kind of walk a fine line when he talks about what what comes out of a game like this, like what kind of a boost it gives the team, because, you know, he's going to also he's going to say that it gives you a boost, but he's also going to say that, you know, the team is confident in every game they go into and et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> which I'm sure they are. But like it really does feel like you need at some point to you know, um, bear the fruits of your labor to, you know, start to see kind of what is possible for this team. And so, yeah, you just hope that the, the, the positive momentum, the positive feeling that you just get out of a win like that can give this team the momentum it needs. And, you know, it's not just going to be that it's also the players that are coming back. I mean, Andrew Gutman, I think it's kind of, you know, it's kind of written in the narrative that he comes back from injury and is the hero of this game. And, you know, Atlanta's going to be getting more players back here in the coming weeks with Brooks Lennon, Ronald Hernandez, not saying that all these players are going to start, you know, in a given game, but just to have those options, uh, I think it's going to help this team a lot. And you just hope that you can continue forward. I thought it was very interesting too, that Gutman comes in and is playing center back <laughs> and uh, playing it pretty well. Honestly, I thought it was a bold decision by, by Pineda to just do that, but uh, clearly it paid off. And that just shows, you know, Gutman always like plays down his own ability. He said after in the post game, you know, I don't have the ability that guys like Luis and Tiago Amada have and on this and the, this and that. And then, so don't expect anything from, like this from me again, but um, you know, I mean, okay, maybe it's true that he doesn't have that kind of quality, but the guy is very skillful. I mean, the guy is very good at soccer. He's he's more than just a runner, which he he definitely is a runner, but he can do a lot of things. And uh, for him to strike that ball, man, that was just 
it, it looked like it was not going to go in and then it went in <laughs> like it was just <laughs> struck so hard on the screws it was great the uh the absolute profanity i unleashed on the mercedes Benz stadium press box when he kicked the ball <laughs> was, yeah. was something that I, that I know that most of my family would be ashamed of me for but <laughs> it was the reaction i had it was the reaction i had yeah. i think andrew was stunned i know andrew was stunned i know the rest of atlanta united was stunned he said they made fun of me because last week in Chicago, I had a crazy bad cross. So hopefully now that I've scored this goal, it will get them to shut up. I hope so, Andrew. You deserve them shutting up because, uh, yeah, no, that cross was terrible. I remember exactly I remember what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, you were nowhere close. Uh, but to pull that out of thin air in that moment, again, every, every moment in the universe that had ever happened led up to that exact moment in space and time where the ball popped up for andrew fucking gootman <laughs> to bang in a 22 yard golazo and beat seattle one of, and for one of the better goals i can honestly remember just in terms of like the strike there. like it's up there with some yeah. of the ones that tito's hit before mm-hmm. i mean it was a yeah, it, he didn't get shortchanged on that at all. It was one of the best goals. In fact, I, I was also listening to uh, Mike Connie and Jason Longshore on the postgame show on my way home yesterday, and they were just trying to recount like the best kind of late heroic goals. And I, I mean, that's to me, it's clearly the best. I think the only one that might rank up there with it for me is, well, there's the one in San Jose, that crazy late game. And then the VAR uh, quake. Yeah, yeah. The VAR quake. That's right. That's right. And then there was another one uh, at Bobby Dodd Stadium against Orlando uh, that mm-hmm. Tito scored on. A, it was a really nice buildup, but it wasn't a strike like Gutman hit yesterday. So uh, that which is that's, by the way, is my my favorite kinds of goals. Some people prefer the team goals and all that. That's great. <laughs> I love just a, a thunder bastard of a hit. That Tito goal against Orlando, the the second one, was the first game I ever covered. It was huh. uh, it was tough for me to to act appropriately in the press box within <laughs> that very moment. Uh, he hit that one a few weeks before against Orlando as well from distance, and I think that's probably the one that's still the that is the all timer yeah. history. That's I've, the all timer. I've got right? a I've got a list set up. I was going to do it during the last international break. I just didn't get it together in time, but we will be it will be released at some point. Probably it's probably looking more like this off season, but it's going to be a good list. There are some really great goals. Like when I was going back to watch, there are some great goals <laughs> in this team's history. Joe Patrick, we missed our goal. We kind of missed our first stop at the beginning of this episode and kind of veered right into sports prime <laughs> game time. <laughs> Sports Prime, game time, Joe Patrick. I wanted to do it because I like the jingle and it took me, it took me like 30 minutes to do. So we're going to do the jingle. That's all right. It's like I love it when a show will do that. It'll like you forget that they haven't played the intro and then they'll play it like at the very end of the episode or something like time way deep into it. So I'm, I'm here for it. We're challenging the form. We're always challenging the mm-hmm. form. Uh, Lady and I did challenging the form of what we've kind of come to know from them and their defensive setup again at the end of the game. I do come to talk about. Andrew Gutman at center back because it was eventually the shift that gave Atlanta United the win. And yeah, he was center back. He, he kind of clarified that for us uh, in the post game when I asked him about it. He says he's played that position before, which I thought was interesting. I can't quite remember when he would have done it. He may have done it at Cincinnati at some point. I don't think he would have done it for Red Bulls at any point last year, but I don't know for that for sure. But it's a super interesting wrinkle. They can throw out there because it's tough to keep track of. It's just not how you're programmed as a defender to keep track of a a center back drifting forward like that and providing that extra help uh, defensively and an attack. Right. You remember D.C. United last year with Hernan Sada before he got fired. Used to do it with Andy Nahar Mm -hmm. really, really effectively. And it's just a super interesting wrinkle. And it's I wish I got a chance to I will ask Gonzalo about it training. This week, I, I wonder where he kind of pulled that from and where the, the thought process came to do it. Uh, clearly effective and just one of one of the few things that I think Elaine United got right, maybe even accidentally yesterday. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to give Pineda credit for for making that sub. Um, I think that speaking of the subs, I thought Edwin Mascara looked good. I mean, he didn't sure, like yeah. have a tangible impact, but he like his runs. Uh, he looked threatening. I thought that, you know, he could have made a better decision once or twice to maybe be even more threatening. I think he was maybe a little just passive. Um and you would like to go and have him just go at goal even a little bit more directly and have shots. But regardless, he looks like a piece that could come off the bench and be a, a real spark for this team, especially down the stretch. Um, and I think mostly you can, he's just clearly is of a certain profile, just that speedster that this team really doesn't have coming off the bench. Uh, so that is also something that uh, caught my eye yesterday that might be going under the radar a little bit, but I think it could be pretty huge for this team uh, down this down the stretch. Yeah, totally. Now he looked genuinely quick. Not like, oh, he's kind of like small and shifty. He looked uh-huh. genuinely fast. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to pull the numbers on that right now. And I can maybe actually confirm for us if he's actually fast here in a little bit. I'll, but- well, I'll, I'll keep going because, you know, it's just uh, it's interesting the kind of place that he fills on the roster because I feel like it's an it's kind of like an archetype that Atlanta United has used for several years now I think it kind of started with the remember Dion Pereira who came in in 2019 as just like these kind of young wingers who you hope can develop but they purportedly have this you know initial skill set of being kind of quick and flare dribblers uh Pereira was never really that guy he was never that fast honestly um and they no. and they've kind of cycled through a bunch of those kinds of players and now Mascara kind of fills that role it's one they haven't really had much this year so hopefully he can be a guy that comes through but he already looks a little bit more dangerous than some of those previous guys to me I've got the numbers. By right. the way, I think we used to refer to Jake Moraney as fast. Jake Moraney. Too. Yeah. He's he, another he one not, of those types. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I looked, I think he's like maybe like the 12th fastest player on Atlanta United this season by really? time speed reached. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's interesting. Edwin Muscaria already much, much higher than what Jake Moraney was at uh, 21.48 miles per hour. Top sustained speed for Muscaria in his first appearance. That was a limited time. He was the third fastest player on the field behind Ronaldo Cisneros and knew who. One of four players mm. to reach uh, above 20 mile, 21 miles per hour. Interesting. In the game. Uh, so we can confirm genuinely fast. <laughs> we love to have the actual numbers to back it up. Um, he'll grow. We talked to him at training uh, this week and seemed to be just a kind of uh, quiet kid, honestly. Uh, but Clearly kind of just kind show. of still trying to get his orient, you know, get, like get, get, get himself sorted out. He was totally find his footing. But, but again, came out of a shell kind of as he kind of made some jokes yeah. about the, the interview. And then I think Atlanta fans are really going to like him as he continues to progress. And, you know, in a vacuum, it continues to seem like a, a somewhat quality U22 signing for what that slot is actually for. Uh, maybe right now you kind of wish you'd still kind of had the midfielder that could have potentially come in. But you know what? In the long term, Mascara may may pay off. I liked how may Doug pay. asked him uh so have you ever played in front of a, a stadium with 70,000 people before because of the obviously the open stadium coming into Saturday's game? And he was like, no, I've, I've played in the Bobanera. So yeah, <laughs> like, oh, was OK, you right. got me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think he was going to be worried too much about that. Uh, a couple of other things that I really want to hit on Joe Patrick. And most importantly, I would like to hit on the possession stats in particular. A few folks have pointed this out but atlanta united some of their lowest possession values not possession values but percentage of possession uh, of the season against seattle i can pull up the exact number 50.6 percent possession and this one that would be uh the third lowest of the season uh what gets interesting though is when you start to look at metrics like uh the the thing i am using that my friend is allowing me to use thanks friend (laughs) is average directness it's a measure of exactly what it sounds like uh directness per possession and you kind of look at the passes per possession and the average duration of possessions which in general are really high for atlanta united because they do value possession so much Mm -hmm. because so much of their possession is largely ineffective because they're not being direct towards goal if we look at the average directness joe patrick this game against seattle was atlanta united's most direct game this year if you look at the passes per possession uh it's one of the the lowest totals 
of the year for Atlanta United. The average possession duration, one of the lowest totals of the year. People are kind of asking what looked different, right, with this game and why it was kind of different. It's because Atlanta was either one more comfortable conceding possession or the more likely thing, Seattle was just a little more on top of Atlanta than maybe they were used to, but it kind of forced them to make those direct plays. And in a way it kind of kickstarted things because the first goal that Atlanta United gets is about as perfect as you could draw up what you want to see from Gonzalo Pineda's system, Joe Patrick. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, speaking of that goal, I think that one of the reasons why the stats show what you've just described is the fact that Pineda made a pretty significant change, not in the personnel, but by playing Luis Araujo on the left on his natural side and Ronaldo Cisneros on the right wing, his right side. And that allowed those players just a lot more kind of uh, it gave them more of like a forward thrust, like a, like where they could easily just kind of move themselves up the field. And obviously on that goal, we see Caleb Wiley play a, an inch perfect pass to Luis Araujo up that left side. And he uh, gets into the the pass, the primary assist zone, which uh, we know, thanks to Brooks Lennon, is a is a key point for Gonzalo Pineda. Um, and that's exactly why that that area of the field is so difficult to defend, because it's not like the ball that um, Luis put in even really connected with somebody that I can remember, at least I don't think it was like some incredibly precise ball, but it found its way to Ronaldo Cisneros. And it's just very difficult to defend when you get the ball into that spot. And then it kind of, and then the ball comes backwards into the box. Defenders just get turned around. It's just very difficult to kind of sort it out. And obviously when Cisneros was able to get a good enough shot on it where it found the, found the net. So yeah, I mean, I think that that goal, I was kind of happy for Pineda that they scored that goal in the way they did, because I think that it, um, it just, showed how much his tactical decision to do that really paid off for the team. It wasn't all perfect that they could have made more runs. I'm looking at the running stats and maybe not super impressive there with uh, the total movements off the ball and the total movements that challenge the back line. I think that's in part down to the fact that Joseph simply just didn't have it yeah. yesterday in a lot of so ways, which I think we have a few bad. questions about. It's not good. Uh, but you know what? O- overall, Again, you're you're exactly right. It shows just how valuable getting into those primary assist zones are. Because even when Cisneros gets the shot off, right? He's so he's in such a quality position that right. even with defenders and Stefan Fry, the, the king of making saves out of nowhere, right? Even with them in front of him, he's still able to just bank it in off new who, right? Mm-hmm. So everything clicked perfectly there. Gonzalo kind of agreed that it's about as picture perfect as you can draw it up for Atlanta United and what he wants to do in this system. And maybe that's definitely more encouraging than the Gutman goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just kind of gets buried because it, it wasn't as cool. It was great. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. From a, from a systemic point of view, like the first goal was, uh, yeah, much more rewarding for that reason. I'm just looking at Joseph's stats. Sorry. It's, this is, it's crazy, man. He had two shots. One was that overhead bicycle kick which he didn't even need to do one the other was from way outside the box he had 13 total pass attempts in the game this man is like playing like Solomon Rondon he's like he's playing like he's like a big target man and I I say he's playing like this not necessarily because I feel like he thinks he's being most effective this way but I don't know if it's a mental thing or a tactical thing that he feels like he's just got to kind of sit in front of the center backs and kind of be the reference point for the rest of the team but I don't know I don't know what what they should do what they can do at this position would you play Cisneros at striker um yes I've been saying that for months if you play Cisneros at striker <laughs> who would you play on the wing who would Caleb you- Wiley okay so you play Wiley on the left wing Louis on the right Yes, put Louise back on the right. Yeah, I, I think you can get away with it. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, um, and if, I'd be fine with that. If you if you want to put Louise, if you want to uninvert them again, mm-hmm. I guess this is recalling it, which I guess is just not doing anything. Um, I think that's probably fine too, considering Gutman's skill set and the connection that he and Louise potentially have on that left side. Yeah, as well, it, it's an option at least, and at least gives you some tactical flexibility as well, which is something Atlanta has been missing at times this year. Uh, real quick, just looking at Joseph's. Running stats, it's about what you'd expect. It doesn't look like any other starter ran less than Joseph Martinez, at least for the ones that made it through uh, the entirety of the first half at the very least. Uh, So, yeah, 
Not great. Not great. It's a common trend. It's a common trend. Uh, I think we have some questions about it later that kind of address yeah. the next steps with that. But yeah, not great. But so Patrick, so I, have, I have a question for you about this. Yeah. But should I, don't, should I hold it? I don't know what the question is. L- let me ask you and then you can decide whether you want to answer it now or later. Uh, would you just would you like. OK, so. Carlos Bocanegra, when we had our uh, interview with him, his media Zoom session uh, after the transfer window, he actually broke a little bit of news saying that the team held an option on Joseph after this year. So essentially, the club has two years of control with him. Um, but would you trade him this offseason if you had a, if if somebody wanted to, in the league wanted to trade for him? You would open up a designated player spot and probably get allocation money. I don't know how much you would get for him at this point because you know. I don't know how much team I think teams understand that like, OK, we'll trade for Joseph and put him on a DP and put him in a DP spot that in and of itself is a cost for that team. So I don't know how much allocation money you'd actually get. But regardless of that, would you trade him just to free up a DP spot? If Paul Ariola is worth two million in allocation money. OK, I that's true. Like you would get money then. Get, but giving Atlanta United's track record with interleague moves, they generally haven't gotten much above average market value at all. Yeah. They have not been extremely successful in a lot of these cases because they really wouldn't have really haven't had a lot of leverage and they probably wouldn't have a lot of leverage in this case as well. Yeah. So I, I do I wonder about an interleague trade. I'm leaning towards uh, yes, by the way, and to my own question. Like I, I probably would try yes. to I trade him. I just want them to get the value. I look at Rui Diaz on the other right? side and I'm like, damn, he's really good. <laughs> <laughs> It just should be nice to have our ideas. It's noticeable when you go up against a top class striker like that, you realize that you have not had that kind of player leading your your, leading your own line here in Atlanta, which is tough to reckon with. Because I love Joseph, obviously, you know, everything that he's meant for this club and all that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. you could fix him a little bit by changing a position slightly no, or something. No, I don't know. Do yeah, that, no, that's a whole thing. thing. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's. We'll past. save that for Joe Lowry later. Whenever exactly. we talk to him. <laughs> exactly. No, it's a big decision, but I think it's a, one that the front office has to be kind of brave and probably make at this point. We'll talk about it more in the questions after this quick break. Before we answer those questions, did want to let everybody know, as always, that this episode of Five Stripe Finals presented by Lucid FC. That's Lucid Footwear and Clothing. Lucid FC shop in Buckhead is open by appointment and walk-ins 1 to 8 p.m. daily at their location at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. You can go online at lucidfc.us and use DSS as your season-long promo code for free shipping in the United States only. I'm sorry for all of our foreign listeners, many of them that are out there scattered across the world athletic inspired heritage sets are now available online french terry cotton athletic sets are perfect for performance and recovery as i prefer and as seen on miles robinson in the newest release new releases this summer from lucid fc every thursday on the web shop against that's again that's lucidfc.us and use dss as your promo code for free shipping great work joe great work lucid great work y'all for getting these questions in we'll start with this one from Henry Aguia. Says the team looked different from the one that faced Chicago. There seemed to be more fluidity in the attack and more attacking presence despite Atlanta losing possession battle. What changed? I think we've kind of talked about that just a little bit, Joe Patrick, but I want to kind of pose this question to you. Kind of spin off that just a little bit. If you're Atlanta, do you shift things at this point to start being a little more comfortable conceding possession, be a little more direct? and kind of change up your your entire philosophy at this point because it would be a big kind of switch to pull off but it seems possible right yes i would <laughs> i mean <laughs> uh, this is just me personally like it's it's weird because i feel like a lot of people my age or people who really kind of came up in soccer and looked at those Barcelona teams under Pep Guardiola as kind of the pinnacle of soccer, of what soccer can be. Um, They would see that team have 75% possession in games regularly. And that kind of became um, this kind of uh, 
like a totem or like something that you like achieved as like the pinnacle. Like you just want to keep as much possession as possible and that's going to help you create chances. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I tend to find that Atlanta United, when they have too much possession, it's almost like a hindrance to them. Like you need to mm-hmm. be letting the other team have the ball at times so that they can like they can manipulate themselves out of possession by just having the ball. And then you can exploit that when you recover it. I think the the key is just being effective in those very quick moments of when you do win the ball back. Uh, how effective can you be in, in, in kind of gaining an advantage tactically? So I'm totally fine with Atlanta having less of the ball and being more direct. I would I would like to see more of it, frankly. What about you? That's a good answer because I wanted to lead you into this. Joe Patrick. Yesterday, Atlanta kind of stumbled into an idea that we've been talking about mm. for a couple of weeks now, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Haven't we, Joe Patrick? Mm-hmm. We're, we're on the pulse here. Oh. Joe Patrick, That they kind of stumbled into a single pivot with Marcy and Tiago Almada as dueling, what do we call them, 18s? Tens and eights, hybrids, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, what do you think? I keep thinking of that time that we talked to Jeff Lorenowitz about this, and especially with what happened in 2019, where they were like kind of had a ton of injuries at left wing back and nobody could really play it. So Justin Miram had to play it. And no one had previously thought of Justin Miram as somebody who would fill that position. He was only kind of considered as an attacking player as a, as a you know player that plays up front, basically on the left, of course, but he drops in, plays that position. There are some tactical adjustments at the back that facilitated that and made it possible for it to work. But Clearly, it helped the team, and I feel like it could be a similar situation for Atlanta United right now with playing Tiago Amada and Marcelino Moreno in midfield. And I think that part of it, part of the huge reason why you're able to do that is because of Santiago Sosa. Like, I don't think there's another midfielder on this team that you could place in between those two and be as effective as they were able to be yesterday. But it certainly, to me, looked much more dangerous, and it looked like Seattle was um, kind of trying to figure out how to handle it. Um, they, it, it was just cause that's just an overwhelming amount of creativity and kind of um, forward thinking players uh, in the middle of the field right there. And I said something about this yesterday uh, on Twitter about Franco Ibarra and like Tiago Amada with being that, you know, is it a risk to play Tiago Amada kind of in this role alongside Santiago Sosa in midfield? And I don't think it is because I think that Tiago Amada is frankly like a better. He actually makes the field more secure than Franco Ibarra because of his ability to be a press resistant midfielder His just his technical ability alone um, means that there's going to be fewer turnovers and he's going to be able to give the team, you know, more solidity in that area. And we saw Franco Ibarra kind of give a ball away cheap, cheaply in midfield. Then Seattle pounced on it, right? Capitalized on it right away for their equalizer. So um, I love it. I would love to see uh, Gonzalo Pineda continue with this from the start. Tiago Amada led the team in pressures yesterday and was the third highest player in distance running at a high speed per second spectrum. So among midfielders, he was the leader and distance covered, all that kind of thing against a pretty good midfield there in Seattle. He can do a lot of things that aren't just being press resistant. He can help you out defensively as well. And it's not quite as much of a risk as you would think. I mean, considering that the option is doing what they did, which is subbing in Franco Barra. What happened after Franco Barra was the sub to kind of potentially, quotation marks, reinforce the midfield. Uh, Seattle kind of took (laughs) off and took over the game, didn't they? Yeah. Didn't they? So it, it's something to consider. You can go back a couple of weeks and listen to me kind of go full uh, Pepe Silvia on saying that Atlanta should go single pivot and just say <laughs> fuck it and go forward with this. Because, again, you aren't going to not with this group. You're not going to pragmatism your way to the playoffs. Right. Exactly. Group. Totally. Yeah. It's not going to happen yeah. because of the makeup of who they are. You because, have again. Yeah, you have to be chaotic to an extent. Exactly. You have to and make you've it work for you. around the league do that right now mm-hmm. you're seeing toronto do it you're seeing other teams right now thrive off it because you know it's mls yeah you have to dive into the chaos every now and then uh, and for this particular group <laughs> it feels like the correct move to kind of just go for it right embrace so, the chaos he tiago even got the got the crowd going early with a with a tackle uh it was like a, he just made a great tackle and uh, 
got the cheers from the fans for it. So, yeah, he, he, he can definitely do more defensively than I think he gets credit for. I wonder if one of the reasons why the team might be hesitant to put him in that position is just because they would rather him be higher up the field to be, you know, around the box to allow them to be a little bit more potent in the attack. But, uh, but fine, I, let him get up the field. Oh, yeah. Because one of your biggest <laughs> right. problems yeah. is that you can't make second level runs because no one gets into the box yeah. when you get into primary assist zone. Exactly. So let Almada do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and honestly, you know, like this makes you think like um, it's just it doesn't look good on Rosetto, honestly, like when when something like this happens. And, you know, it's not it's not anything new. I just don't like want to twist the knife on the guy or anything but it's the same it's the issues that we've kind of had with him ever since he's been here which is that okay great like you can make some simple passes around the back and kind of help recycle possession and keep possession a little bit but how much is that possession actually helping you and you know what good is he actually doing for the team in that role i think that we saw the tandem of tiago amada and marcelino moreno do a lot more for the team um yeah yep and Rosetto is yep. the creative one, <laughs> the playmaker, <laughs> the playmaker. Um, that's right. <laughs> we did. We did. We did not get an update on him uh, after the game. Uh, we don't know what the extent of his injury was. Um, so we'll find out. He was he's back and into what capacity he was chatting. I was kind of listening in. Uh, he was chatting with Felipe and Doug, but he was talking in Spanish. So Felipe was on, <laughs> like the only one who was understanding. Justin wasn't around. Um, he had a compression sleeve on his right ankle. Doug tweeted that he injured both ankles in the game at some point, which maybe he did. He but was stepped on at one. Clearly, point, yeah. it was the right ankle that looked like the one that was had gotten treatment or was kind of more. They were taking more precautions with. So, but he was just standing on. He wasn't in a boot or crutches or anything like that. He was just in his sandals with the compression sleeve on that right foot. So it didn't seem major. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. Uh, moving on. That was, that was, that was really a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> We'll edit it out. Oh, edit it <laughs> out. <laughs> Caleb Wiley was really good. So, Patrick, let's talk positively. Caleb Wiley, really, really good yesterday. This wasn't in any of the questions, and we've kind of veered back into Sports Prime game time, but there are so many good things to kind of circle around. And I just want to highlight yeah. Caleb really quick um, for his passing and his continued movement and his continued effort yesterday. Covered a lot of ground and was really, really solid. Agreed? Agreed. And he's getting better as the season goes on, which is great to see from a young player. It's like you can see him grow up before our very eyes. For sure. He's progressing. He's had a couple of bad moments too and recovered. You would never know. Bad moments happen. You would never yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, tough for a 17 year old to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's done really well. Tough for 26 year old Sam Jones to do <laughs> more often than not, quite <laughs> frankly. So, Caleb, you're doing better than me, man. Nobby asked this. He says, We've been tricked like this before. We contain the opponent, play well, and win, and then look terrible the next couple of games did y'all see anything in yesterday's match that gives you hope we may be on the path to doing better consistently going forward i think we talked a bit about potentially seeing the single pivot more but beyond the goal andrew gutman's just a force man just having him back is maybe the most encouraging thing yeah for sure no that's great um i i think that i forget what coach i heard this from done a lot of sports media here the last two years but there was there's a coach at one point and i'm sure many have said it it's like we need to learn how to win not in terms of like learning how to actually win but this coach was talking about winning consistently and being able to win a game process it kind of put it behind you and then go do it again and i think Mm -hmm. sometimes teams especially teams that don't win a lot just don't have that feeling don't have that experience of being able to do that and i think that that is kind of gets at what nobby's nobby's question is for me at least that's kind of how i perceive it which is that this team just needs to you know obviously celebrate the win be happy with the win but um you just got to kind of go into the next match as a clean slate and um and just just do it again but you know, this team does have a lot of talent. I know they have a lot of injuries as well, but they've got a lot of talent. And especially going forward, like we were just talking about in midfield, like you have difference makers there. We know Marcelino Moreno. We've seen him do it. Um, Tiago Amada, obviously, with his technical ability, like you've got players going forward that can change games. You just have to really, I think from Gonzalo Pineda's perspective, you just really got to lean into that, <laughs> lean into the <laughs> those those playmakers that you do have and, and just allow them to do what they can do best. I think that's your your best shot to to go out and keep on winning, even when you go on the road. Yeah, we'll see if they can do it on the road. It's a tough one coming up this weekend. Um, but Gonzalo 
was asked a lot about Brian Schmetzer this week. And then the week kind of prior, I had a piece up on the striker. There was other stuff all over the place kind of about it. And something that he kind of kept talking about was Brian Schmetzer's ability to manufacture wins was the way it was described. Just to manufacture wins with uh, the, the personnel they have and the tactics the personnel was put in, right, to succeed, right? And it's interesting to me to kind of hear him talk about after the game how much he'd been reflecting on that in particular, the, the idea that Atlanta needed to manufacture wins. Mm. And I think kind of going forward, maybe, maybe just maybe this was kind of a revelatory thing for him where he's like, okay, well, now is the time to to manufacture as much as I can because just kind of putting the team out there in a certain way just isn't, necessarily getting the job done and maybe that's like overly optimistic and sappy and everything like that but it, there's a potential for it right and that could be a reason to be potentially encouraged is just some self-reflection and some learning on Gonzalo Pineda's part in multiple different ways I think including the single pivot right? I, yeah and I think like the sub of Gutman as a center back is kind of evidence of what you were just saying like mm-hmm. you gotta make it happen it's not going it's not just going to happen if you just let the guys play longer <laughs> you know like they just have you you got to be proactive in moments you know not not all the time but it, you know when when it gets desperate and the and the three points in that game were desperate you gotta just do some desperate shit <laughs> uh so yeah i mean yeah i think that that was kind of evidence of that for sure for sure for sure i also want to point out one quick thing about gonzo as well and i thought it was funny because it's about the first time we've heard him in a while say that the team didn't play all that well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of giggled that. because it's it's so obvious, right? <laughs> it's so obvious. Like what the move is, is when when you're losing, no, everything, everyone is playing well. Mm-hmm. You lose the confidence. <laughs> when you get the win, you say, you know, I think we could have done better. <laughs> Classic coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people get so caught up in it sometimes. And it's it's just funny because it's guys everything's intentional <laughs> almost everything anyway there there are some moments that aren't obviously right but a lot's intentional anyway stamper ask with Hoseto out for the foreseeable future who would you like to see sliding into his position reina abara and then dot 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 linen question mark i'm still holding out linen and midfielder <laughs> uh, that's really the only reason i included this because i knew we talked about the single pivot anyway but our answer is moreno yeah yeah definitely on linen i would say that um this is not a knock on uh, on Aiden McFadden at all, because obviously Aiden McFadden has been a revelation in what he's been able to do. But just and it's kind of similar with Wiley, like these guys are just they've been playing a lot. They've been playing a lot of games. And I think that we are going to see a pretty substantial upgrade whenever Brooks Lennon is able to start, just because I think we don't even kind of realize how depleted some of these players are just because of how many minutes they've been suddenly forced into playing so um just yeah just a quick note there but i think that uh, i think that lennon will be a huge boost when he's able to come back and provide minutes for the team frank obara i don't know it's just in general i'm not talking because like i wouldn't obviously we don't want to see him in the starting lineup i've been so like seesawing on franco obara generally as a player um this year especially and there's been at points this year where i've been really high on him his stats are still like his defensive stats are pretty good not the deep analytics but just like the top line like tackles mm-hmm. per 90 clearances per 90 you know like that kind of stuff um but man it just seems like when he comes into the game there's chaos and not in a good way not the good kind of chaos that we've been talking about the bad kind of chaos where you give the ball away in terrible areas but joe patrick what about his ability as a box to box midfielder <laughs> as, as, a, as clearly an eight <laughs> Yeah, well, he, he's an eight because he needs a more <laughs> secure defensive player playing behind him because he gives the ball left, away so much. Uh, right. I, I left out the drive there. Uh, Carlos Becanegra said it in a press conference. Yeah. That, uh, Frank Obara, they, they see him as an eight was the direct quote. And that sense, that's in a lot of us. We were we were side eyeing that one. I can only recall him really playing as a quote unquote eight one time. And that was that away game at New York Red Bulls relatively recently where Mateus Rosetto was like pretty clearly playing as the deepest lying midfielder in that game. That was a weird game in general because you were missing a bunch of players. Yeah, Luis Araujo and Cisneros were playing as like two strikers up top. That was a (laughs) that was a weird one. But that was the only time I can recall him 
um, fulfilling <laughs> Bocanegra's vision. Uh, speaking of, of Bocanegra, Wes, the bane of scooters, ask how hard do y'all think it is to learn how them analytics numbers work? <laughs> uh, another thing we kind of picked up from the press conference is we finally got confirmation on what the, the analytics department for Atlanta United actually looks like. Uh, it is one person. Is one person that's not necessarily completely out of the norm in MLS, but you'll notice that a lot of the best teams in the league have at least a couple people, and those couple people generally have a lot of experience within the analytics community and everything like that. Just something to kind of keep in mind going forward if we're maybe looking for something to restructure and rework and just amplify as new personnel comes in. Uh, the analytics department probably needs to be more than one person, not because that person is bad at their job or anything like that, but because jobs are really freaking hard to do when it's just one person. And I think just having one single person kind of shows just where the emphasis is for Atlanta United and clearly scouting has been lacking at times. Yeah. I'm not. So like my perspective here, like I'm, I think one person, if it's a good person, like, I think they can do a pretty good job with uh, with analytics um, running types of numbers like <laughs> I mean, hell, I know. So like Toyota football, he's like an analytics guy like he's come up with really good stuff that has been really informative, um, even just like when he's pulling Excel sheets, just like some pretty basic stuff. Um with with different analytics, I'm not as opposed to the size of that department. For me, it becomes down to like how much actual input and does that person or department have in the decision making of the club? Like how much is are the leaders of the club who are actually pulling the strings on transfers, signings, that kind of thing? How much are they valuing what those analytics departments are providing for them? Uh, I think that that's kind of that's the crux of it. I don't get the sense that Atlanta United has really cared too much about the analytics on on some players i mean it's pretty clear that they've really used a lot of like u.s national team connections i think probably through boca negra we know that the way that they kind of came in with luis araujo was through um a connection that carlos boca negra had with a coach that was at saint etienne who was uh who had coached uh luis araujo at some point when he was at Lille. so um these te- seem to be the types of connections that are leading Atlanta to their signings and not the whatever analytics are being performed mm-hmm. by um, at this point in time, the single member of Atlanta United's team. But as you said, like it's not out of the norm or like it's kind of the I would say it seems to me like most teams probably have one person doing analytics. Now, to your point, I think there are some clubs who have more than one person. Um, and I think that those clubs, by the by nature of the fact that they have more people on it, they value it more and it goes more into their decision making when they are actually making these moves. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And that list is out there. It's on American Soccer Analysis. They do a yearly update of those things off the top of my head. LAFC, NYCFC, uh, both teams uh, with heavy analytic staffs, right? I didn't notice um, that. <laughs> they, had, they had DC as number one, so pretty much solely because Lucy just Russian because is of there, Lucy, and right, yeah, that's not going well. But they're right. I, they also seem to be hum- hamstrung by just money. It seems like like they have like no DPs. Yeah. So Atlanta United is not hamstrung by those things. Atlanta United yeah. is down the road from a world famous <laughs> institute of technology. <laughs> uh, Atlanta United has plenty of folks. Uh, I think they could. Uh, pick out to to add to that analytical understanding of their scouting. Uh, it's a personal criticism of mine. Maybe not everybody's criticism, but I, I think that could be better in could be a point of focus in the future for Atlanta United to to kind of maximize what they get out of these things. I mean, to bring it back to Liverpool, as everything always is, Joe Patrick, uh, they've really done a nice job over the last decade or so of, of using analytics to kind of moneyball their way to. Some pretty incredible results. It, it works. Yeah. It's used because it works. You know, Mauricio Pochettino wrote in his book. No, his I'm book. just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, hell. You owe his, he owes you royalties. He I did. hope you know that. You got you to email him about that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rubber Anchor says, 65th minute, you're up one nothing, and you want to make a sub. Who do you put in and who do you take out? Don't answer a bar versus Neros. <laughs> I think everyone was kind of a bit uncomfortable with that, that particular substitution yesterday i did call it um, by the way i did call that they were going to pulse this you did you were spot point. on yeah you're spot on um that, that's so situation dependent but i think we can both agree that 
that was not necessarily the correct move yesterday. Yeah. Right. I mean, if they need a goal, I'm putting in Muscara. I mean, Muscara looks right very Which dangerous. Is be his role, yeah. right? He's, not yeah. gonna, he's probably not going to start. He's probably going to come in and, and fulfill that exact role. So that'll be one of the first guys off the bench from here on out, I think. Yeah. I think the, the big question is like, what do you do in like a situation like yesterday where like you have a lead and you theoretically want to kind of shore things up a little bit? Maybe it's a center back. You throw another center back on. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think right now. What? Uh, I don't yeah, know. I, that, I don't know. That would be Dijon. Uh, yeah, because they don't have George Campbell, so maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did you do a Marseille? Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I, throw I see on, the options are limited. Here. I would theoretically throw on Alex Dijon if you're like in stoppage time, and frankly, you're trying to kill some minutes, yeah. and you want to like you know be able to protect against set pieces and things like that um but yeah well, it's I mean, it's it's it, a tough one right now you could press on the gas even more you could go mascara uh go dwyer uh, dwyer and, is a good one he's been so productive in that role helpful mm-hmm. exactly uh, i just feel like i feel like dwyer has like you might have to go like 70th minute before you put dwyer <laughs> I feel like he's got like <laughs> before you get the red card yeah right, right. <laughs> Let's see here. We already knew this is from Beneta Head 17. We already knew Gutman is a dude, but when will it be time to reopen the best left back in club history conversation? Mm. Right now, him and Greg Garza are like 1A, 1B for me because they've both been extremely good when they're in, but have both have been injured to some extent. I think if we give it another year, we might be leaning towards Andrew Gutman. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like in my head, it's already Gutman. Like, I know I'm going to say it's going to be Gutman. And when we get back, when we go ahead a year and we get to that point, exactly. yeah, but like, same. I feel like it's unjust to put him in Body that spot now. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we know where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's see. Let's see if we have anything else. Oh, I like this from Christian. He says, we magically get to hit the reset button and start over with our midfield. Which three do you keep and why? Assuming three are worth keeping. <laughs> it's a good question. And I wish I could have had a little more time to kind of think about this off the top of my head. Mm. I know that there are players worth keeping. I don't know how many players are worth keeping on the contract they're on right now. Mm-hmm. If you restructure that, maybe. But right now, the only two midfielders who I would consider safe and pieces you would want to keep around based on what they're making and based on their value. Santiago Sosa, Marsadic, I can't really commit to anyone else. I would say, I mean, I would say Ozzy Alonso. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I don't know if that's cheating or not, but uh, yeah, I would say him with a Hyman. I like Hyman, but the money makes it tough. Like, it's just a bad contract. It's just a bad contract for a salary cap team. It's a bad contract. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It is what it is. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely a point. By the way, that Atlanta United needs to focus on. Um, just today, Brighton beat Manchester United and Moises ah. Caicedo. Caicedo. That's right. Yes. Played in their midfield, a former Atlanta United reported transfer target. That's the kind of that's the kind of signing they need. Like the, like they need a designated player badass midfielder. Of course they didn't able, weren't able to get him because he got a Premier League offer, but um yeah. That's would love yeah. to have somebody like that in midfield. I think it's a great call. It's a great call and if you ship off Joseph, you open up that DP spot. <sighs> because I feel it's going to yeah. be such a bummer. So, it's okay, hurt. so like I would actually go without a DP I would take a DP central midfielder assuming like you're getting a good one. I would take a DP central midfielder over a DP striker because I feel like in this league you can win with a Brandon Vasquez. Brandon uh, Vasquez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Jeremy uh, uh, Ronaldo Cisneros. I mean, I, mean, I think Ronaldo Cisneros could do a yeah. job, you know, as a as a starting striker in this league. If you have really good pieces around him. Exactly. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But it, it's tough to find Jao Paulo. True. It's, really, it's definitely really hard. Yeah, that's Paolo. fair enough. Fair point. Um, so, but if you can get the DP deal for a guy that good, uh, we we saw what it did for Saunders. He became a team that kind of pragmatismed their way to a lot of their initial success under Schmetzer, and then became something entirely scarier once Jao Paulo got there. In particular, mm-hmm. just a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I think you're exactly right, Joe Patrick. Let's do this. Uh, speaking of Joseph, Henry Aguida says, what are we going to do about Joseph? He just isn't clinical enough in front of goal and his passing isn't great. I feel like a lot of chances ended with him because he was quickly dispossessed or put 
in a bad pass? Is there even a small chance old Joseph returns? Uh, Ralph says this of the following resolutions to the Joseph contract situation, which is the most likely to occur this offseason and the least likely. So, okay, oh my I think God, we we're address. ranking, we're ranking things again. Last time we did we this, Darren Hill's yeah. left. <laughs> Um, well, we'll see what our powers are. This time. <laughs> Henry, are going to, well, look, I think we can answer Henry's question kind of with this ranking, right? Uh, yeah. So let's go through these. Ralph has one status quo, which is no changes made to contract Two, Joseph signs an extension to remain a DP three signs an extension that turns him into a TAM player for he leaves the club. I, so which is most what? likely to least likely. Yeah, most likely for me is just status quo, and we don't know anything this offseason. Hmm. That's most likely to me. I think you're necessarily a choice I would do, but it's most likely. I think you're it wasn't my initial it wasn't my initial response response. But now that you've said it, you're probably right. That probably is the most likely. Also, maybe the most disappointing, <laughs> like I would not like to see that. Like, I don't want to see nothing happen here. Um, I feel like a decision has to be made one way or the other on this kind of thing. But I will agree with you that that is that would be the most likely. What's next for you? I would say, well, I'll, Which, I'll go I mean, to your point. Yeah, I'll say ahead. the next most likely is that he leaves the club. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think that's extremely on the table and i think the third most likely is that he signs an extension that makes him a tam player i can't see joseph as a dp i can't either his option i cannot either not on this team at least i could i could see it on another team for sure but not on this team i could see another team in mls doing it because to henry's thing is there even a small chance all joseph returns yes there is but it's not something that you can bet one of your three spots Mm -hmm. to bring in top tier talent on you can't it's just so valuable yeah you can't you can't it's like all Atlanta United fans wish that the club could just give them an amount of money and it wouldn't kind of cost them one of these slots but um because obviously I think everybody just for sentimental reasons would like him to stay um but it's just so damn valuable to the team um that I it's hard for me to see him yeah see him staying as a DP long term that's a bummer. Do we have a happy question we can end on? Like, I just want to say one other thing about Joseph. He just feels like he's rushing everything. And I feel like that that bicycle attempt that he made was kind of indicative of the problem that he has right now, which is that like it seems like he feels like he has one touch to make something happen like that. At all times, there's a defender like draped all over him or ready to take the ball away when there isn't. And I feel like it's the total opposite of the kind of Joseph Martinez we saw when he was at his best. Remember that record setting goal that he scored against? Was it Joe Bendick in in Orlando um, Mm -hmm. where he like Mm -hmm. murks him and just like like he didn't even have to. But he he does. does, Yeah, he like does a little like ball roll and then just like chips it over. Um, He has so much composure in that moment. And I feel like that's totally gone. I don't know. Maybe missing the time kind of sped the game up for him or something but he just does not look like the same player it's entirely possible because when you don't trust your body to act in the right way you kind of you you hurry it Mm -hmm. you know you try to overcorrect in those kind of situations and honestly for me the one that bummed me out the most yesterday was when marcy played a, a really pretty through ball to him that kind of split the center backs and joseph made a run that in 2019, he definitely gets on the end of the ball yep. and definitely finishes to put Atlanta United up. He got he got pushed off and, and it really never looked like he was going to get there. It was just totally different from what my expectations were yeah. based on the the schema he'd established over the last or the first few years anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Joe Patrick, we don't have any rapid fire. We can't end on that. Oh no. <laughs> Do you have a happy question you want to ask Joe Patrick? Um, are you what are you like watching on TV right now? Or are you doing anything for fun right now? Uh I watched Invincible, the superhero show where everyone dies. This is not <laughs> a, this is not the happy question either. Okay. Um <sighs> uh, let's see. Well, let's do this. Let's do this. Joe Patrick, after yesterday, <laughs> what percentage did your optimism that Atlanta United can make the playoffs. What did it increase by? What did it increase by, Joe Patrick? Um, and how are we feeling overall? 33.33% repeating, of course. Of course. That's a good, that's a good increase. It's a good increase. Look, 
I feel better. Do you know what that's a reference yeah, to? I, I think, yes. The repeating I think point. we can. Nikki <laughs> Tippity is like 12 years old. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. You're, you're 36. It's cool. It's whatever. I thought I was um, being cool. <laughs> um, look, no, again, we can nitpick all sorts of stuff, but I think the bottom line is yesterday that we saw the team able to have a moment of joy and able to, to celebrate with each other. I think for any of the folks who've been wondering if the locker room was staying together through all of this, I think the celebration yesterday kind of confirms that it is absolutely still willing to, to fight for this. It's still willing to be in this mm-hmm. and is still willing to play for Gonzalo Pineda. Andrew Gutman in particular pointed out uh, how excellent Gonzalo and his staff have been as a reason for him running over to the bench and, and celebrating with them and with the team and, and giving Gonzalo a big hug afterward. I uh, said it, said something about an inside joke and like i don't know what that means i don't know what the inside joke actually is uh, but <laughs> he has an inside joke with Gonzalo Pineda that results in him scoring bangers <laughs> to win against seattle it's a really good inside joke he should tell it to the rest of the team <laughs> we've talked a lot about this team lacking leadership because of all the injuries that have happened and i feel like we have probably not given gutman enough credit for some of the like those leadership characteristics i really feel like he does have them but in a much different way not in terms of like the the rah rah, or the commanding, or the yell at sure. you got kind of person that like a typical like a Brad Guzan is, but he just has like a really good vibe about him. He seems like he jokes around with all members of the squad, and uh, but it also keeps like holds holds people's feet to the fire and holds them to account. I know he's given some pretty fiery press conferences in the past when they've lost games, so um, yeah, credit to him for that. We've been talking about this team not having that dog in them. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, Andrew Gutman confirmed. Also, Joe Patrick, we got to point out Juanjo Parada starts in the back four, starts yes. as a center back. Again, I don't know how Sports Prime Game Time got like shifted to both the beginning, middle, and end <laughs> of this episode. This is the worst structured episode we've ever done. We're just excited. Juanjo Parada was a vocal presence yesterday. You could constantly see him directing the back line. You could constantly see Atlanta in general communicating better about certain switches in midfield, certain switches between the fullbacks and the wingers, uh, Caleb and Louise did a nice job. I thought a couple of times, uh, but Juan Prada in particular continues to look like a really sharp signing and full credit to Carlos Bocanegra on that one mm-hmm. for and- seemingly getting that right. And also bringing in a guy who has, that kind of personality. Yeah, totally. Remember when he, uh, Caleb Wiley made a mistake and Parata was like on the field, like, you know, not just consoling him, but like, he's like kind of like keeping like telling him to keep his head up and stuff. Like just mm-hmm. like a great guy. And, um, I also feel like Alan Franco has had some of his best games when one of Parada's in the team. I think maybe they just have a better Someone connection a together, point. a good, like maybe better communication. But yeah. I thought, I thought Alan, Alan Franco was very good yesterday. Someone made a good point that, <laughs> Alan Franco and George Campbell don't work together because yeah. both of them are more explorers yeah. than I think yep. we maybe realized initially, especially with George. Yep. Right. So to have Parada be the guy to be able to stand back and direct traffic and, and win aerial duels and everything like that is really important. Yep. Uh, Parada, not great with the ball at his feet. I think we're kind of finding <laughs> out, uh, which is probably why he didn't play a super whole lot in Mexico. But for what Atlanta United needs right now, mm-hmm. he seems to be a very good fit. Mm-hmm. And it, it's good to see Atlanta kind of slowly start collecting personalities again yeah and guys who are at least engaging and interesting because this team's been so goddamn boring but to see gutman come in and to see parada come in and all those guys uh, start to make an impact that's encouraging it makes everything more fun and i think yesterday was a sign that this could be really fun down the stretch sam you saved the end of this episode i'm the answer to the episode by the way uh i am an uncle now my brother had his baby so there's no more good news Congrats, congrats, Andy. That's my brother. Congrats, Andy. Nice job. Congrats to Uncle Joe Patrick. Well, and Karen for uh, having 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 the actual baby. All all Andy did was just stand around and send us texts about updates. So (laughs) good work, Andy. All right, Joe Patrick. Uh, Congrats to y'all. Congrats to Andrew Gutman. Congrats to Atlanta United. Congrats to everyone who made it through this episode. Congrats to everyone who's a patron at patreon.com slash five stripe final a whole bunch of stuff coming your way this week as we review a big win be some fun interesting new stuff coming on the patreon for patrons we've got some ideas we've got some ideas we're gonna try them out see how they go we'll see how it all works out check out the striker atlanta the striker.com got a whole bunch of stuff all the time going up 
about Atlanta United. Going to have a couple of profiles up this week. I have some stuff on Gonzalo Pineda that I think was really interesting to hear from him about Brian Schmetzer in Seattle and just his enjoyment of the job in general. It says that he will put in shifts from 6.30 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night for Atlanta United. He's that kind of coaching weirdo, which is the best <laughs> kind of coaching weirdo in this purse, in this scenario, right? Um, so fun things in there. As well, his Joe Patrick, his... Um, he called it an XML. I don't think it's an XML necessarily. I think it's more like a PDF of despair, uh, <laughs> where they collect all the weird stuff that has happened internally and the stuff that we see as well in the Atlanta United organization this year and kind of keep track of it and be like, well, this has just been a lot, hasn't it? <laughs> so, uh, lots of things in there at striker.com. Go check it out. Joe Patrick, anything you want to put in before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. We covered everything. Let's get out of here. Bye, y'all. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.